Welcome to Two Therapists Talking. The hope for this podcast is to talk about important issues related to couples and individuals who are struggling in their lives with many different issues. I'm David Thompson, a marriage and family therapist. And I'm Sherry Christensen, marriage and family therapist. Please join us as we explore these issues together, and we hope you will learn and be enlightened along the way. Come find us at twotherapisttalking.com. Hi, and welcome back to the Two Therapists Talking podcast. I'm David. And I'm Sherry. And we are excited about today's topic. Yes, for the next little while, actually, we're going to be talking about this. For at least probably the next two sessions. And so here's the plan. What do you do when you just discovered that your husband or wife is looking at porn and you did not know, or worse yet, you discovered some sort of inappropriate relationship, maybe an emotional affair or a physical affair. Or maybe uh, chat line, chat groups, or reaching out, different apps and things like that. Exactly. And now you feel a little bit like, what do you do? And it can be very overwhelming. And so for the next two episodes, what we'd like to do is outline what we think are the steps to recovery. And so there's, there's steps to recovery for you as the betrayed partner, and there's steps to recovery for your partner who is the uh, offending partner, perhaps maybe in addiction. Yeah, or compulsion. Or compulsion, yep. Which... Uh, a lot of people have issues with that distinction. Some people get kind of hung up on wanting it to be more about the addiction or, well, no, I'm not an addict. And and the thing that I just tell clients is it doesn't really matter. You're going to do the exact same steps for recovery for both the you know offending partner and the betrayed partner. It, it looks the same. So... Yeah, the steps really do look the same. And what I found just in talking with people, sometimes it helps them to know why if there's addiction components because they have a hard time explaining their behavior otherwise. Yes. <laughs> For example, there's something that I keep doing that I don't want to be doing and I'm not sure why I'm doing it. I don't know what it does for me. I just, I'm there. And so sometimes when we learn that this is really addiction, that's hopeful and helpful because there's a way out. We have steps, we have mm-hmm. lots of research, so we know what to do. And that can be very refreshing for people who have been confused for a very long time. Yes. And I think that goes back to kind of the last podcast when we were talking about that worth piece, because I think when you um, find yourself in these patterns of compulsion or addiction and you're doing things you don't want to be doing, and yet you keep finding yourself doing them, it can feel very hopeless. And in that sense of worth can go down because you feel like I've been trying everything. I've been doing this for years. And so it can help when you understand those components of, you know, whether, you know, wherever you are on that scale, um, those compulsive or addictive patterns can help you understand, oh, okay, this isn't, this isn't who I really am at my core and at my center. And I think that really helps the betrayed partner as well to be able to separate that out. It definitely does. I mean, if, if this is actually a brain disorder and there's brain damage, it helps a lot to know that they're not just lacking willpower or they don't care enough. There's actually Mm -hmm. something much deeper going on. 
Hopefully it generates some, some sympathy, um, some compassion, and we'll talk more about that. So this episode will be focused on the betrayed partner. So the one who's just discovered, perhaps has been told, hopefully has been told, often mm-hmm. has discovered on their own, which is a harder process for sure. Either way, it's overwhelming. It's kind of like everything you thought you knew is turned upside down. Yeah. And you just need to know what do I do now? At least from someone who has helped people in recovery. And there is a way, there is a process that works better. Yes. So we're going to talk about that in this episode. Next episode, we'll be focused on the addicted partner or the offending partner. Hopefully these both will be very important to you. So for the betrayed partner, first things first, what we recommend is that you take time and space. So slow down, take your time. There is no need to rush to make a decision or to know what you're going to do right now. You're feeling pretty overwhelmed. Now, sometimes that means an in or out of house separation while you sort through your feelings and figure things out. This is often necessary because the information was big information. And with them right there, not in your way exactly, but you see them every day and you see them a lot, you just need more time than that. You need to be away from them enough to think more clearly. And so just know that you can take your time and there's nothing that you have to do. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about about that. So an in-house separation looks like a couple of different things, right? There's there's so many different ways to do this. And sometimes I think people jump in and when they're struggling or having a hard time, you just want to get through things really fast. And so I love this time and space because you do, you need to slow down. Um, you have to be able to be in a good enough space that you can make really healthy decisions for yourself instead of um, just trying to fix it right away, um, get through it right away. You really want to give yourself that space. And when you're in that moment of everything's happening, I have to try to decide now. Usually what we'll find is you jump to an extreme. My only option is I've got to divorce this person tomorrow, or I have to just continue to allow this behavior uh, that's damaging to me in order to make this relationship work. And we just don't see a lot of in between all the many, many options in between. So with separation, there are so many different options here. There is in-house where you sleep maybe in different rooms from each other, but maybe all your clothes and, you know, you'd still use the same bathroom. All of those different kinds of things are similar. Um, You can do almost the same thing, but with, you know, clothes separate, different bathrooms where you're not seeing each other as much. But still, maybe you're doing household things together. You're still cooking meals together, doing laundries together, those kinds of things. And you're definitely coordinating childcare. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to feel overwhelmed with doing more and they don't have to do as much. Everybody's got to share. And often this means that you're not talking because we don't want you to be in a pattern where they are apologetic and want you just to know that they love you and it's going to be okay. You need time to really just process how you're feeling, what it means. 
And not that they're trying to manipulate you, but they want it to be fixed too. And so it's often good just to have time where we're not talking very much because I, I need time and space to think about how I feel and to write things down. And if you're talking to me every chance you get telling me uh, that you love me and you want to make it work, I'm still figuring everything out. Mm-hmm. And so often it needs to be don't talk very much and certainly not about this as much. Yeah. I think, too, the tendency, and I think this is just sort of a global tendency, especially in our you know culture and society, we don't want to be in distress, And so oftentimes that tendency is, okay, let's just fix it, fix it, fix it. Okay, you say what you need to say. I'll say what I need to say. And we'll kind of pretend like everything is now okay. And that just doesn't work. So taking that space to just let it not be okay. It's okay for things to not be okay. It is. That's the time and space, definitely. Slow down, take your time. And you can even do an out-of-house separation, which sometimes Mm -hmm. is necessary. Sometimes, unfortunately, we just need to make sure that you are physically safe. There needs to be testing and some other things that happen. And Mm -hmm. so an out-of-house separation can make that process better. But with rules such as you're both working towards something, there's a way to know you're working towards something. And again, a big one is childcare. Yes. And making sure that both are contributing and not just, for example, they leave and you have to do everything. So they should be able to come and you can leave and you have time. Or there's different ways to work that out. But yes. either way, sometimes that separation is necessary. But in this process of just really taking your time, there's no rush. And so that's really the first thing that we want to make sure you know to do in this process. Mm-hmm. And again, just to go back when you said you just briefly brought up, you might need to be doing testing and other things in order to keep yourself safe. I'm sure everyone is probably knowing what we're talking about, but we are talking about, for example, with affairs or different things like that. Um, You want to make sure that you are physically safe and healthy. So getting STI testing and all of that done. So if there has been physical infidelity, stop having sex. Yes. Even if you feel really close and connected because he or she is very apologetic, just to make sure that everything physically is okay. Yes. It's just wise to do that. And honestly, it's a good consequence for them to see that things are going to be put on hold. Things are not going to be the same as they were before. And that's an important part of their realization of how big this is, perhaps helping them to break through any denial. So that's an important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. So the second, and we really kind of feel, I feel like these are in order of importance even. So that's <laughs> the first one. And yeah, the second one is to get support, have a support team. So you want some family and friends that kind of know what you're going through and they can support you and not tell you what you should do but be able to support and hear you and be able to validate your experience uh, and be able to say, okay, what, what do you need from me? This can be a little tricky because mm-hmm. your, your family and friends, your support love you very much or they wouldn't be your support. Yes. And they will typically say, leave this person because yes. they're so hurt <laughs> with you. They're going through betrayal as well. 
Yes. And so it's important to have support that's not going to tell you what to do or give advice or give you their opinion. And this probably means that you're going to have to teach them how to support you. They love you and you need that care and concern, but you don't need them to tell you every time they see you, hey, are you leaving him yet? Have you talked to a lawyer? What are you doing? That's not going to be very helpful for you. And so you might have to teach them this is what support looks like. Let me figure this out, but just be here for me, listen to me, care about me. And so that's a big one. Yes. Yeah. I, I like using the phrase, no strings attached. You're welcome to offer something that maybe I might need to consider or um, a thought that you might have about what might be a good idea for me to think about. But you get to only offer those things as long as you have no strings attached with whatever it is that I choose to do. Right. That's important. And Sherry mentioned group. So there's lots of different group options and we're not going to take a lot of time to go through those group options. However, you'll have groups in your area that are local that are just for friends and family of someone who is either in addiction or um, has offended uh, you in some way through their behavior. So this will be a group that's aimed specifically towards you. They'll have their groups and you'll have your support groups that way. And so you definitely want to make sure you're doing that. Definitely. Because you have to, you just have to have support. And I would say probably one that is fairly, uh, universal or is in a lot of places is S And the reason why I mention that is more simply just because it's, it's an accessible, accessible thing. And you may have a group that you go to through therapy. There are several other uh, great groups, but a lot of times people say, I have no idea what groups are or where I can go. And that's, it's a 12 step group. So it's a 12 step group for, you know, spouses, family, friends of those who have struggled with infidelity or pornography addictions, things like that. And it just is an, is one potential option. If you don't have groups through therapy, if you don't have any of these other groups available to you and it's free. Exactly. So get support. You need support. Third, boundaries. Boundaries are very important. You've heard the term, no doubt. It has special meaning for therapy because we talk about boundaries a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot. Boundaries have a list of actions and behaviors that have consequences and then follow this consistently. You know, the tricky things about boundaries, a boundary is not, you know, please don't do that or you're going to be in trouble. That's not a boundary. A boundary is if you choose to do that, then I'm making a choice as well. In other words, your boundaries are things you keep no matter what they do. Sometimes we confuse that a little bit and say, hey, if you look at porn again, then you need to uh, sleep in the guest room downstairs. Well, what if they choose not to do that? And so the boundary would be you're going to do something Mm -hmm. if they make certain choices. And sometimes they'll comply and sometimes they won't. And that makes it tricky. Yeah. And boundaries are always about keeping yourself emotionally and physically safe. It's what you need to do in order to heal and in order to be respected as a human being. And so that is 
really important to consider as you look at your boundaries. And one of the things I always say is you can have something be a boundary or you can have it be a manipulative behavior, a controlling behavior, a punishment. And it's simply sometimes related to your motive and how you approach it. So if you have, you know, if you can look at yourself and say, okay, I need to be able to have that space in order to heal, or, you know, you might choose, I don't feel comfortable sleeping in the same room right now because I need that space to be able to breathe and just know that I can think without the other person there. That's, that's a great beginning of a boundary, obviously with the resulting consequence, right? But on the other side of it, it can also be a manipulative punishment. If you're like, well, if you're doing this, then I'm going to make you sleep in the other room. So a lot of times people will say, well, tell me good boundaries and, or tell me what a, a boundary is here. Is this a boundary? And I, I, well, it kind of depends on what your motive is. So that's an important thing to consider as you're looking at creating and keeping boundaries. And, and boundaries will be your responsibility to keep. That's the important thing. Consequences, we could spend some time, no doubt, on consequences and what good consequences are. Just know that any consequence to your partner will likely feel like a punishment. That's okay. Don't get sidetracked. Uh, we tend to have consequences that help them to uh, see their situation more clearly and so these can be reading, writing types of assignments, things like that. But again, be prepared. If they choose to follow or not, then you're choosing time and space in some form, in one way or in another. And it might be you're leaving the room. It might be you're leaving the house. But ultimately, that's your power is to be around them or not. And that is kind of how the boundaries are going to be set up is taking that kind of time and space from your partner if they're choosing not to follow what you've agreed to. And I think one of the other uh, aspects of this is all of it is information. You're, as you work through the boundaries and maybe they choose not to you know, follow those, sometimes people will come in, a spouse will come in and just say, well, no, I don't know what to do. And... One of my responses is almost always, well, you've just received some very important information, information about where they are, information about their willingness and openness to work with you to kind of work on the situation and to recover themselves and to create a good relationship. Right. So boundaries are very important and will take some thought. And again refer back to number one, which was time and space. Take your time as you figure this out. And there's always going to be help and guidance available. But yes. boundaries are really, really important. And perhaps will be something that's relatively new that you're going to need to practice. And your spouse may not take you very seriously, which is why you have to make sure to follow through on those consequences, which they can't, they can't do for you. And so if you're choosing time and space... There's really nothing they can do about that. And this sounds just a little bit uh, big and vague, I feel like, as we're talking about it. And I'm sure that we will talk much more about it in other uh, podcasts. But just know that there are a lot of resources out there. And working with a therapist, 
I think this is a major component of the work that we do with betrayed partners is working on boundaries. What are they? How to implement them? What do they mean? What do I do under all of these different circumstances if they choose to do something or not? Um, There's a concept called boundaries explosion where you maybe even go a little overboard and then realize, okay, maybe I need to back it down a little bit. There's just so much to this particular uh, boundaries point that we have on here. So just know there's more and you can get a lot of, of help and, uh, and assistance with that, with your therapist or, um, other resources that are out there. Right. Okay. The next one is committing to do your own work. So one of the ways I like to explain this concept is that is to think of getting hit by a car uh, with a drunk driver who is driving the car, and they you know they hit you. You got a broken uh, leg, sticking out at a weird angle, a punctured lung, uh, you know, lacerations, all that. And you would never think to say in that situation, well, as long as that drunk driver gets into rehab, I'll be fine, right? You would never do that. You would go immediately to the hospital, you would be in the ICU, you would get that help that you need, you would go to rehab and you would go to therapy, physical therapy, for as long as you needed to in order to heal yourself from those wounds. And that is the same concept that we're talking about here emotionally. Oftentimes I'll have spouses say, well, you know, it'll all be fine. Just make sure you work with him, make sure everything's good with him or make sure you work with her, make sure everything's good with her. And then I'm going to be fine. And that's just not true. You have to do your own work of recovery. They can't even do it. They can't even do it for you. Right. They can't get in there and help you. Right. They, they can contribute in their ways to your healing process, but Mm -hmm. it's your healing process. And this sometimes is a really tough one because it's not your fault. And it's, it's like a grieving process. It's a mourning process. And you think about, you know, in a normal grieving process, there's often denial and then anger and then bargaining Mm -hmm. and then depression and acceptance. That's one model for it, but I think it's pretty accurate. And this isn't linear. And so some days you'll feel good about your healing. And then other days you will be so mad, like as if you just found out. And that's okay. That Mm -hmm. is totally normal. You're not reacting abnormally. It's an abnormal situation. And you'll bounce back and forth and feel like you just, you're learning so much about you and it's feeling good. And the next minute, something triggered you, a thought Uh, something that's happened and you'll be so hurt again. And that's normal. You're having a normal reaction for your situation. That's what I tell clients. Yep. So it's your work to do. Nobody can do it for you. The good news is you're the one who benefits from it. And often these situations really help us to learn about ourselves in ways that we never would have learned before. Absolutely. And, And not that we're looking for it. But when it does happen and it finds us, um, we do the work and we benefit from that work. 
and consistency. This is something that we talk a lot mm-hmm. about. Consistency is so important because it's hard to do this every day. I mean, any routine, whether it's exercise or diet or a course that you're learning. And that's okay to have off days. But just remember, you're in charge of your healing, just like you are responsible for your happiness and your emotions. And so commit to doing the work and give yourself times where all you can do is get out of bed. All you can do is take care of the kids. And there's not going to be a lot of, of healing through doing certain exercises that day. And that's okay too. Again, take your time. That's why number one is number one. This process takes a while. Absolutely. And I think understanding that, again, the work you are doing is just as critical for your recovery as the work that your spouse or partner is doing. And therefore is going to take similar time, money, effort, and that's okay. And you deserve to have that. You deserve to take that time and that energy and that effort and that money to heal. Next is learning. Now learning, what this refers to is you taking time for learning and studying that helps you to understand yourself and your partner and their feelings and gives you valuable information. Um, So the idea here is things will never be the same. What are you going to take from this? And you really want to, as well as you can, approach this whole thing as you are learning about yourself, you're learning about them, especially, for example, if there's addiction, learning about what addiction is and why someone can love you and hurt you. Because Mm -hmm. often that's a question, how could you have done this if you really love me? You must not really love me. Well, I think with addiction, it's important to understand what happens in the brain. And as you learn more about addiction, if it is an addiction and this process, you will be better equipped not only to heal, but to help them to heal. And if the goal of this is reconciliation, and for a while you might be figuring that out, and that's okay. For a while, you may still not be getting all of the information. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that in um, the second half of this, or in the next episode, when we talk about the offending partner or the addicted partner, honesty is number one for them. And they have to share everything that's happened. And that can take a while. Often there's been a pattern of, I'm not going to give you anything unless you discover it or ask just the right questions at just the right time. So you learning as much as you can, that's something that you take with you that nobody can ever take from you. And so there is a lot of research out there. There's a lot of articles. There's a lot of books. In fact, there's so many that I try to stay on top of reading all of them and I can't. (laughs) So, and, but there's similar themes. And so if you do some study, you're, you're going to see patterns that are going to be able to help you. Yes. And I think with both of these last two points, I think remembering balance in your life that, you know, you still are maybe a parent, uh, you still have other responsibilities, it's not uncommon sometimes for a spouse to come and say, okay, let's just tell me all the things and then I'll be able to fix everything if I just know enough. And that can absolutely be taken to that unhealthy extreme, right? Again, where you're just working so hard to understand so that you can fix it. 
So just remember again, the time and space, the support, all of these other things that you're doing and giving yourself some of that time and space to just like David said with the last one, just only get out of bed that day. So keeping that balanced perspective on that learning and that work that you're doing. Part of the healing that you're doing for you mm-hmm. is that learning and you yeah. benefit the most. And so take it seriously. Um, you deserve it. You're worth it. Absolutely. Okay. The next one is responding versus reacting. And we get in these situations and I think everyone gets in these situations where something happens and there's a a stimulus or a situation that happens. We tend to want to react rather than respond. So the emotions flare up and then we act out of those emotions instead of taking the information that those emotions are giving us and then responding uh, in a more, uh, more healthy or what are the word? What's the word that you use? You don't use the word healthy as much. You use <laughs> effective, more effective, more effective pattern, right? So your natural desire oftentimes is to get really angry or to rage about things. And that is because the anger is telling you that something's wrong and needs to be fixed. And so you are looking for protection in those moments and you react. So what you need, you're looking for protection. You're looking for control. That's usually what happens when you're feeling that anger response. And so being able to step back and understand that that's what's happening, you can then make a more effective choice, right? Because when you get angry, or if you think about times that other people explode and get angry with you and try to control you or the situation, it doesn't help, right? It pushes the other person away and it makes it worse. So being able to go to some of those deeper things like the pain and the sadness uh, is more helpful because you're getting down to what's underneath. And then you can address that anger and control piece and, uh, create and keep maybe a different boundary. Exactly. Um, you know, I like to say more effective a lot. And what I've learned is sadness and hurt is a more effective bid for connection than anger. Hmm. It makes sense that you're angry, but a couple of things happen. Your partner probably isn't in a place yet where they have fully completely accepted what they've done and its impact on you. And what happens is if you react instead of responding, it becomes about you. And it's not that what they did is the problem. It's what you're doing that's the problem. It's almost Mm -hmm. like it puts the target on you, Mm -hmm. which we don't want the target on you. It's completely reasonable that you would be angry because you're so hurt. You are so hurt. And so it makes sense. And this is why in this process, learning Things like mindfulness and meditation and breathing can be so helpful because we don't want to give your partner a reason to look at you instead of looking at themselves. And what I've learned is if you're able to respond, they kind of have no choice but to look at what they've done versus if you get really angry 
and come at them hot, like we like to say, maybe you're yelling, uh, name calling, those sorts of things. It's easy for them and they would prefer it to say, well, look at you. This is Mm -hmm. about you and what you're doing, which it's really not. It's about the choices that they've made, but it's easy for them to blame you based on how reactive you are, which is understandable. Let me, let me say for sure that's understandable. It just moves the target and we need the target to stay on them and their choices. Yes. Accountability and responsibility. So more effective hurt and sadness, more effective anger, not as much, but it's Mm -hmm. okay. Sometimes you're still going to be really angry and that's okay. This is not about being perfect in this process. This is about doing the best you can with what you have. And it's just a tough process. We're just giving you tools, giving you understanding of the process. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time to kind of understand that. And also, you don't want to be shoving that anger down and just, okay, well, now in order to make things better, in order for things to be okay, we're just going to lift up the carpet, shove this under. I'm just going to bury this. And not deal with it or work through it. Again, as David's saying, with that meditation, that mindfulness, journaling, all of those things, that support that you have, those are all helps for that anger to be able to process through it and to be really mad. And I've had clients or different people that I've worked with or talked to who will have like an angry journal. And that's where they put all the angry things and, you know, keep it kind of in this special little place. And that's where they go to just let all of that out so that they can then find out what's underneath that, find out what boundaries I need to set. All of those things where you're not just shoving it down and trying to make it all go away so that you can properly respond in the way that your therapist said to. (laughs) Exactly. Great point. I'm glad you brought that up. The next point that's really important is self-evaluation. What this means is you take a deep, honest look at how you were or are showing up in the relationship and how you can better meet their needs without owning their behavior. In other words, there's a story behind their hurtful behavior and they are not simply a bad person, which you know this, uh, I'm guessing. And so And this is in time. So this doesn't mean as you're listening to this, oh, wait, maybe I'm not doing this very well. This is in time. This step and the next final step is definitely going to take you time to get there. All this means is you do contribute to this relationship meeting their needs. And in time, once you've gone through a process where they've demonstrated honesty and openness and willingness, and you feel you can start to risk trusting again, as likely trust is not very good right now, this is the next step where you're able to say, okay, now how can I contribute and what can I do that's going to make this relationship better than it was? The goal is not for it to ever be the same before, but to be completely different. And in time, if you hear this and you're thinking, what, like how I'm going to show up for them, it's just Uh not time yet. That's okay. This is the long game. Remember, number one, (laughs) time and space, slow down and take your time. That really is the guiding principle in a recovery from betrayal process for sure. Mm -hmm. But as you feel ready, um, you will be reaching out. And hopefully this is through a process. You're getting help, perhaps therapy, couples therapy. 
where you can talk about what the needs of the relationship are, what they have been, where it wasn't very good, and what we want it to be going forward. Yes. It's kind of that mutual collaboration of revamping the relationship. When you decide that's what you want to do. Yes. Take your time and figure out if that's what you want to do. It's easy for us to talk about this and to say this, but in reality, unless your spouse is demonstrating the things that you need to see and more importantly feel from them, then this is not going to come for a while. Yes. That honesty, the openness, the willingness, and all of those things are necessary before you can start that process of trusting again. And trust, even once you start that process, is a long process. And so this is a couple's thing that comes later on, but is a very important thing if the relationship is to repair. And so you'll reevaluate, you'll look at, at how it was, You'll look at the things that both of you have done, again, relationally, and things that you want to improve on relationally together to make that uh, relationship better. And, and this leads right into the last point, which is... Demonstrating empathy. Empathy. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is why it's the last one on this list. Now, I know... <laughs> We, we could spend, and we will, I'm sure, yes. uh, future episodes dedicated to empathy. It is that mm-hmm. awesome of a concept. And when we actually pull it off, real empathy, uh, it would heal everything. Yes. It, it would heal the world. And so it's its own topic. However, at the end of this for you, and this is after self-evaluation, looking at how you did our showing up, is demonstrating empathy and and often developing real empathy, um, which is simply put to take their perspective and to feel what they feel, not simply to have sympathy or to say, I'm sorry, but to really understand how they're feeling, which by the way, hopefully makes you feel better, is much higher up on their list of things they need to do. It is not the (laughs) the end of their list. Not the last one. (laughs) Not even close. But it's good to know and it's good to consider. And so understanding, showing nurturing attitudes, words and behaviors, um, not problem solving, telling them what to do. Although you'll really be tempted to say, hey, for this not to happen again, this is what you need to do. Like Mm -hmm. you want to take control of it. I've read all about this. I know what you're supposed to be doing. It's a safe bet you have read a whole lot more about this than they have because Mm -hmm. they reluctantly do this process. Often. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Often, sometimes not, and that's that's a, a real breath of fresh air. But this can be hard for them because of shame, which shame and guilt and the difference and the impact of shame on our lives is a future episode as Absolutely. well. Very important. So that is the list of things that are important for the betrayed partner. And our next episode, we will be going into... The same list of what needs to happen only for the offending or addicted partner. So make sure you join us for that one. All right, we'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to Two Therapists Talking. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you. Connect with us at twotherapisttalking.com or email podcast at twotherapisttalking.com.